Final Commodity Conversations with the Mikado team. Doesn't feel like it, but it's been a year since the 60 Minutes released their leaked footage of the Awasi Express. We thought it was a good opportunity to look at uh, this issue again. It's one that's caused a lot of uh, concerns with sheep producers, in, especially in Western Australia. And we're one of the few companies that's really delved into the actual data behind the live export industry, both for sheep and cattle. So we thought, you know, we, with it being a, a year anniversary, we thought, well, let's have a look and see what impact has the ban had, or at least the, the, the slowdown of exports last uh, Northern Hemisphere summer. And uh, what, what are the likely impacts of a future ban? And what is the value of live export? Sports to the Australian uh, agricultural community and, and even the wider economy. This podcast is not possible without our supporters, and I just want to talk about one of them. I'm typically not a fan of stereotypes, but there is one stereotype which is generally rings true, and that is that Scottish people are tight with money. However, there is one area where I tend not to be tight with money, and I don't cut corners, and that's with good, natural, clean meat. There are calls for us to switch to veganism and to use cell-grown meat grown in a lab, but I like to stick with the good old-fashioned steak and lamb chops. And the best place you can get steak and lamb chops is Cleaver's Meats, and they've been graciously supporting this podcast. They produce you know, all your typical cuts that you would expect, but one of the things that I've found fantastic with them is they have some really good pre-prepared meals. A lot of the time when we're, we're spending a lot of time writing analyses, and, and we're quite poorly, poor in terms of time. And one of the fantastic things, even for your lunch, is just to throw one of their uh, organic beef lasagnas in and you get a fantastic you know, meal, you know, as good as what you get in most, most Italian restaurants. It's fantastic products. Uh, the other thing I found great is my daughter, like a lot of kids her age, they love things like chicken nuggets. But I just really don't want them eating, you know, those sort of deep fried fast food type ones. And they actually do a pre-prepared chicken nuggets, which are, you know, pretty healthy and uh, keeps keeps my uh, my wife happy that we're feeding her healthy food and uh, keeps my daughter happy that she's uh, got some chicken nuggets. She doesn't know they're healthy, though. Yeah, with the Easter break coming up and the Anzac holiday, it's a good opportunity to get together with your uh, friends and family. And what better way to share that time than with some meat? So available in all the typical places you'd expect to find uh, these type of products, uh, Coles, Woolies, and IGA. Also, you can have a look on their website, cleaversorganic.com.au, where you can find uh, any specific stockists and find information about all the products they produce. So thanks again, Cleavers, for providing support uh, to make this podcast possible. Matt, it's been a year since the Awasi Express incident where there was footage leaked of sheep and well let's be honest pretty pretty bad condition that was uh, heading into the middle east so thought it'd be a good idea for us to have a bit of a chat with with matt here the cattle analyst about uh, well what's happened over the past year and we, we've been heavily involved in in that live export industry putting a lot of numbers and a bit of data behind behind the industry and its importance so before we talk about one year on matt you want to introduce yourself yeah um G'day, uh, listeners, and, and, and thanks, Andrew. That's right. It has been uh, pretty much uh, a year to the day uh, back in April 2018 when um, when that footage was aired on 60 Minutes. And um, not long after that uh, footage, we, we actually had a look at the, um, the the mortality rates across a whole range of uh, both sheep and cattle live exports um, overseas uh, for, for over the last kind of more than a decade. Uh, going back to about 2004, we looked at it and put a piece on Mercado. That was our one of our very first um, 
uh, analysis pieces on Mercado about that live cattle uh, scenario and live, sorry, live sheep and live cattle scenario. Um, and it really had some interesting findings. Uh, and, and from there, we've obviously done a whole swag of reports since. So let's be honest, that footage was pretty shocking. And even if you were in the industry or out with the industry, it was pretty bad. There's no, no real defense to that imagery. But I guess, you know, what does that actually mean? Like, what is that an outlier or what? how does that compare to, you know, the rest of the hundreds of voyages that go into that, that part of the world? Well, that was what was interesting about when we looked at every shipment basically over that 2004 to 2017 period. And then we focused in, in this instance, just on the sheep um, and looked at how Emmanuel Exports voyages, how they stacked up against the rest of the, um, the broader industry. Um, and, and what was the normal kind of trend? And when you look across the whole industry in terms of mortality through the season for live sheep, you get a range of about 0.5% to 1.5% uh, mortality through the season. And um, though, though there was two in particular, two, two shipments, one in 2016 in that uh, northern, northern uh, hemisphere summer and one in 2017 around the same time. Uh, that July-August period, uh, where they saw a spike in uh, in the mortality and got up to just a, just a fraction over two percent. Um, so you're still talking about ninety-eight percent of the sheep, um, you know, getting there in, in good shape. What what, what like I'm like I, I'm not overly offy when it comes to the the sheep industry and and sheep production. But what what does two percent actually mean? What how does that compare to say sheep in I guess the natural environment inside a paddock like like how many do they lose at, at, at lambing? You know, it's two percent a lot. Uh, look, it's a lot for um, certainly a lot for the live export side of the business. Uh, like I said, the um, if you look at the average stats over the year, back in two thousand and fourteen, the mortality rate was 09 percent. Uh, you know, as a loss, um, and then in, in two thousand and seventeen, it went down to 07 percent. That's basically saying that ninety nine point three percent get there in good shape. Um, if you compare that to, say, something like lambing within out in the paddock, uh, it's not uncommon to get 10 to 30 percent loss rates through the lambing season, uh, and and that's you know what you get potentially every year depending upon uh, you know what happens with the climate and if if the lambs are out at at a, at a poor time and you get you know inclement weather um, at the wrong time, you can lose a significant number of your lambs every single year as a farmer. And that's not that's not to account for something like you know if you look at the tragedy we just saw in the western districts uh, a week or so ago and there's been plenty around the country uh, during bushfire we had a small grass fire just last week near to us here in Ballarat and they lost I think about two thousand stock a good proportion of those as sheep uh, and and that's the type of thing where you know footage of that is also terrible um, but as the footage of the Awasi Express was terrible um, but I guess the uh, when you when you draw an analogy between the two, you know, calling for the banning of the live sheep trade because of that terrible footage, which was really an outlier, a very very rare scenario, uh, is the same as, as calling for a banning of, of, of farming because of bad footage you get um, after a bushfire, which is equally uh, terrible to see. I guess just because it's an outlier doesn't mean that some people will not protest against it. That's the issue. Let, let, let's go back a bit. You know, when when this Awasi Express footage was released, there was a lot of calls for it to be banned. And, and you know, I guess all commodities have, I guess, an element of what fungibility or, or transferability between 
between origins, so grain, for instance, good example. Uh, if we don't have any grain, we can't supply Indonesia. They'll get it from somewhere else, Russia, Argentina, wherever else. I guess sheep as well to that extent, uh, you know, and I guess that's my, my view all along has been that if if the sheep going to the Middle East don't come from Australia, they'll come from somewhere else because they're not going to stop eating sheep. And they, those origins are likely to be, I guess, you know, what, Somalia, uh, Romania. Sudan as well. Sudan yeah. as well, yeah. So, you know, we, 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 I guess we were promised by sort of Alana McTiernan, the uh, WA Ag Minister and, and Animals Australia, that, that Saudi Arabia and, and sort of Middle Eastern customers would switch to, to box meat. You know, what has, been the, what has been the viewpoint? You know, how have they reacted to this, uh, this uh, I guess, uproar from Australian uh, consumers? Yeah, that's an interesting point you make there, Andrew. And, and in particular, you mentioned Saudi Arabia. Now, they actually don't take any of our live sheep from Australia anymore. Um, and, and that's that they do actually um, take a lot of their sheep from, from Northern Africa and, and, and those countries you mentioned uh, previously. Uh, and I think part of the reason behind that is that the Australian government, uh, in conjunction with the live, um, live trade, so live sheep and live cattle trade, have instigated... Um, a number of procedures that are required uh, at fo- on foreign destination points uh, in terms of treatment of animal. So you've got the SCAS and LGAP systems and, and um, abattoirs and meatworks and, and processing places over there from when, when they leave those ships, they've got to be accredited, they've got to follow certain uh, guidelines for the treatment of, of the welfare of the animals. Um, and, and that's, you know, from a perspective of some of those foreign countries, that can be considered, I guess, onerous. And certainly some countries have moved away from our live sheep um, for that reason, even though they acknowledge that we've got the best in the world in terms of uh, quality of, of product. Um, but, you know, and that's one of the interesting points I kind of, um, I, when, when we discuss these things and we do sometimes with uh, animal rights activists and the like, that we say, well, you know, if you truly believe in wanting to have animals having a higher level of welfare... Um, having Australia out of the mix, and if Australia was to ban the live sheep trade, um, for argument's sake, which is which is on the agenda for the Labor government, should they get in, um, if they ban it and Australia pulls back away from that in some of these countries within the Middle East and we're not exporting our live sheep, and therefore countries like Kuwait that have invested a lot of money into making sure their systems are up to scratch and, and world standard for animal welfare... Um, they're, they're going to be able to basically revert back to previous, uh, probably cheaper and easier um, solutions in terms of the treatment of the animal, and they won't be at the highest standard that's currently been there. And because Australia now, as the as the global leader in animal welfare um, standards, if we're out of the mix, then I can't see how that benefits animals, you know, generally across the globe. So if you're if you're an animal welfare person that that really cares about animals across the globe and their welfare, you'd really want Australia to be part of the process, in my view. So you're implying animal rights activists are racist towards uh, overseas sheep and they only care about Australians. <laughs> so maybe they should join One Nation. But, uh, yeah, so that, that that is interesting. I think, you know, clearly, you know, I don't need to be much of a you know a political pundit or, or, or forecaster to say that, well, Chances are we are going to see a Labour government in, in, in place in, in a couple of months' time and likely an election will be called this week. So, you know, six months from now, chances are, you know, we are we are going to be in a period of uh, of having the industry banned. And, you know, what, what is your viewpoint on that? You know, you did a bit of research into the, the numbers. 
Yeah, um, and, and maybe, maybe you want to actually say, you know, why we started that research, where, where we started off, which was, I guess, was in response to a report from uh, Animals Australia. Yeah, the Pegasus report. Look, but before we go into that, I guess, Andrew, there's one point you made, which which I wanted to <coughs> clarify as well, um, was just with regards to that, that footage that was shown. Um, only, only a handful of uh, a month or so ago, uh, that 60 Minutes footage, there was some questioning based around... Um, well, not so much the veracity, but certainly um, this this cash uh, for footage uh, information that was released um, only a month or so ago, and and suggested that um, there was payment made by Animals Australia uh, to uh, the the, the um, worker on the ship that, that that collected that footage, and and from that perspective, I mean that's something else that you've got to consider. We're looking now at a stage where because of on the on the back of some of that footage. The Labor government's making a decision politically to close down an industry, and I'll get into the reasons why I think the industry shouldn't be closed down. But you know, you've got to you've got to wonder, uh, you know, how complicit is Animals Australia? I'm certainly not suggesting they told them to to do what they did there. Um, but whenever you start paying someone who potentially is, is earning a far lower wage in in a Western sense, their wages over there, those ship workers wouldn't be getting paid as much. So I think the quote was it was something like um, three three months' salary worth was what was paid for the footage that was collected. Now, it's, in my view, if you're a whistleblower and you and you're doing it for the altruistic reasons uh, to try and improve welfare, that's that's one thing. And, 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 and so it should be done uh, to, to increase the standard of the animal welfare to, to make sure there's, there's a safety net for whistleblowers giving away footage. But as soon as you, as, a, as an organisation like Animals Australia, say we'll pay for footage, I don't care, um, you know, whichever way you cut it, in my view, you're complicit because you're, you're encouraging uh, people from a less fortunate back de- background monetarily to collect that footage. You know, you, you're part of the, uh, you're basically creating a market for footage as soon as you pay for it. And, and that, to me, brings in a whole level of concern about um, you know, how that footage was collected. Was it, was it a fair dingham footage about what was really going on? Or were, you know, in that instance, was, were um, you know, cooling systems or, or humidifiers turned off? Were, were there situations where they, where they purposefully uh, mistreated the animals to collect that footage? And that's, I think, a question that still hasn't been answered. No, I think that's that is an interesting point because when you look at it, you know, it just doesn't pass the pub test. It doesn't pass the sniff test when when somebody is potentially paid to provide footage, and you know, most likely, it maybe doesn't put too much of a dark area over that footage, but it's the future footage. If people know there's a there's a reward in place for for footage, you know, it doesn't take you know, it doesn't take much to uh, to think that well, people could create footage. Like I remember it used to be that. TV show back in the UK, might be in Australia, You've Been Framed, where people used to sending the film footage of, you know, people falling off bikes, and all of a sudden people, there was shed loads of footage of people falling off bikes or falling off trees, and it was all fake, really. So, yeah, but, yeah, but, but going back to the Pegasus report, uh, Animals Australia released uh, a report saying, you know, it's only going to cost, what, $2 million of an impact to the Western Australian farmers. So why do we even bother? It's $2 million is, you know, really small change. So, so why are we even talking about it? It's just, if it's only $2 million, let's ban it and move on. Yeah, and, and so that was something we looked at on the back of that release of the Pegasus report. And, and in our view, there were some um, some key areas of the, and particularly for the West Australian market, um, that where there was a significant consideration there missing. And part of that Pegasus report suggested that, um, Within West Australia, that that 
those you know two million on head of sheep per year that are going as live X as as an average that they could somehow be um, you know maintained in WA um, you know held on for longer periods and sheared and then potentially down the track slaughtered uh you know within wa and 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 if you took into account all that extra extra money you get for the wool and and the carcass after the process of you know five years or so of hanging on to those sheep that that it'd be all uh, a net you know either a, a small net loss but but you know the benefits would be gained elsewhere um the the problem with that is that um i guess that report really didn't take a, a real good look at that that west australian market is is a market within its own right yes they're part of the broader australian market but analysis we did back on Mercado across the whole then this is pre pre that uh, Pegasus report we did a, a big analysis piece on um, for sheep producers Australia on the, the the whole selling system and and the structure of the systems within the whole of the, the country um, so the east coast and west coast and we, as part of that report we identified that uh, the Western Australian market uh, really was a market to itself uh, in terms of price movement, in terms of um, the way in which it operated, and also a market that was highly export-focused. Uh, it's got a very small domestic market. It's got a very small uh, processing capacity. And obviously the tyranny of distance there between WA and the eastern states is such that um, there are times where the spread differentials for the same type of lamb or mutton or um, you know, the, the, between the West and the East can be significant. And the only time that they really kind of come into line is, is when it's worthwhile to transport one way or the other, or generally it's from the West to the East, is when there's such a discount in the West that it makes it worthwhile to transport them across to the East. So you get these flows occasionally, and there are times when the markets sometimes move in the same fashion. But if, if, the, if the differential in price is significant, it's only when it makes it, uh, economic sense to transfer them across. Um, but otherwise, the West Australian market is almost a, a market that operates entirely of its own uh, accord. And, and it really is um, very much uh, focused on that export sector. You've got to remember uh, the annual offtake of WA, on average, 30% of their annual offtake of sheep goes into the live export trade. And that's significant. You're talking about a third of your buyer, buyer groups in that market, is the offshore live export buyer. Yeah, but that can't be right though, Matt, because we, we've had an effective ban on, on live sheep exports right through the Northern Hemisphere summer or our winter last year from Western Australia. And sheep prices have been good, so, so that doesn't make sense. Like, how, how can sheep prices still be good if we've had that ban? Yeah, that's not that's not quite accurate. That statement, Andrew. Um, it, oh, mate, you can't tell me I'm wrong, <laughs> buddy. I'm well known as a sheep expert. No, well, in this instance, I think that the, the numbers uh, don't quite stack up that way in your favour. Um, certainly, if you look at the volumes uh, uh, last year in terms of offtake, there was a drop. So we did see it was around around twenty percent of the offtake last year uh, went to live X, and that's obviously accounting for those those numbers through that Northern Hemisphere summer that we didn't see. There was a few months where, the, where there was no trade. And so it did impact it, but certainly the 30% is the five-year average. So, so it was much lower last year. But if you're talking about what happened with price, if we look at, and we, when we did this at Mercado, we had a look at uh, the, the prices and, and more in particular the spread between uh, what, was, what was happening in WA prices and what was happening in the Eastern prices for the same type of animal. 
and and what you find is up until so so if you cast your mind back to the first quarter of 2018, the West were having a reasonably good season. Weather was good in suiting uh, suiting what was happening over there. So the prices were actually running at a premium. Uh, so West Australian sheep and lamb mutton prices, trade lamb prices, WA were all running at a premium to the East Coast. Uh, in some instances, if, as an average, you're talking about a 50 cent premium, uh, so 50 cents higher uh, uh, in um, in those price uh, spreads. Now, what happened uh, at, right after April, pretty much, or at the end of April, when we saw that disastrous footage and and the industry was um, was under the spotlight, uh, and 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 um, you know through that kind of uh, period where then it was looking like we were going to get a a summer, northern summer ban, and indeed we got one. We saw those spreads over that over that period of time, from say April through to September. We saw the spread uh, go from a fifty cent premium in some cases to a to a um, two hundred and thirty cent discount. So you're talking about nearly a three hundred uh, cent turnaround in the fortune for uh, West Australian farmers. So effectively, you're saying yes, prices were strong, but they would have been stronger if we had live exports available last last northern hemisphere summer that's right that's spot on and 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 it wasn't just you can say well oh, that might have been you know that 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 decline in the spread might have just been a normal seasonal thing or you know that might not have been the uh, the volumes it could have been other factors right uh, but the curious thing was that as soon uh, later into the year when when the um, the season began again and we started to see shipments going it was right after uh, Retwa got issued a license uh, to to start shipping uh, live animals again. I think it was in November of 2018, and within about a week of of Retwa getting issued the li- license and 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 a, and a discussion, I think it was something about 130,000 head of live sheep was scheduled to go. The spread was sitting at about 200 cent discount, uh, so a discount in WA to the east, and within a week the spread had narrowed by 100 cents, and by the end of the year the spread was back to a 20 cent discount. So there was a clear sign there that when the live export trade was operating, the prices in the West were much better uh, and certainly much closer to uh, the Eastern prices. Uh, When there was no live export trade, the prices were disastrous over there in terms of the spread to the East. And and certainly so far this year, we're seeing now, again, start of the season, a reasonably good uh, year for WA so far, and actually prices over there at the moment are running at a premium. Uh, however, we're just about to head into this northern summer period, and there's a chance we're going to see the um, the industry, uh, you know, cease over that over that July August period again. And so we'll be watching with bated breath just to watch that. You know, hopefully it doesn't happen, but I'm fairly sure we're going to see that spread deteriorate again for the WA producer. Yeah. So I guess. It doesn't bode all that well for for sheep producers in Western Australia, um, if in the likely event that Labor come into power. But I guess you know, live export is is of sheep is a relatively small part of the overall mix. But the cattle industry as well. Has there been any murmurings? Like we 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 get a lot of animal rights activists sending us very pleasant messages um, about our mothers and uh, other various things about various orifices in us and where we should sub things um but a lot of the feedback has been that you know they believe the sheep industry you know that's them they've done it the, the sheep live exports is finished which looks like looks likely but what about what about cattle exports you know 
it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mammoth compared to compared to sheep live exports. So what's what's the go there? Oh yeah, that's I guess that's the concern, Andrew. I know when when we uh, looked at the the live sheep trade, we we took a you know a quick look to see if it was to be uh, cancelled straight away, and we were thinking um, the cost to WA was going to be the most most um, you know the biggest impact would be WA farmers because of how important it is over there. Now, the, the, for the live cattle trade, um, we undertook a report uh, what about the middle of middle of last year uh, on on the on the kind of uh, the whole of the country cattle live cattle trade, and um, certainly uh, a much bigger industry. And uh, from what um, from what's been discussed on both sides of uh, the, the two main parties, there there is still support uh, for the live for the live cattle trade. Uh, and certainly, um, the Assistant Agricultural Minister Joel Fitzgibbon has come out fairly, fairly vocally and, and said that, um, that you know, should the Labor government get in, um, live cattle trade is going to continue. Uh, it's the live sheep trade that's in their sites. Uh, so nothing to see here, nothing to fear. Um, I guess my, my concern is, as, as an analyst of livestock markets, is that um, I, you know, I think uh, if, if the animal rights activists have a success and, and are able to get this live sheep trade shut down, uh, the next thing will be the focus on, on the live cattle trade, which is a much bigger industry. You're talking about you know, $1.2 billion of, um, of export revenue that's, that's achieved by the cattle industry compared to about you know, just less than $300 million for sheep. So a far bigger industry. Um, you know, you're talking about somewhere in the tune of $620 million of that goes back to the farm gate from analysis we've undertaken at Mercado. Um, you know, nearly 10,000 employees across the country in the live cattle trade, if you take into account on-farm and all the associated uh, employment uh, industries that, that operate around the live cattle trade, like your fodder suppliers, your transport operators and the like. Um, so, yeah, significant industry and, and, and significant particularly for um, the northern parts of Australia. Yeah, it's good that you mentioned those activists and in terms of that, you know, progression from from live sheep exports to you know live cattle exports. And I think w- Robert and I spoke about social license and this this my big fear of this incrementalism is in that we allow something to be banned just because you know we think that will appease the activists. But we've seen that this week. There's been a bit of activism in Melbourne with them shutting down the uh, the streets and, and shutting down a few abattoirs and I think that's the key thing you know you had these arguments from Animals Australia and other activist groups saying oh, it's all okay we can we can process on on shore like we've got the capacity but these are the same bloody people who are out there campaigning against live exports telling us that processing on shores is, is, is what we're capable of it for for all of our needs Yet they're trying to shut down abattoirs as well. You know, it, it's it, it just smacks to me of of uh, of activists will see anything to get what they want across the line. I think that's what's going to happen with the cattle industry, in that they will be they'll be targeted next. I think it's unavoidable with sheep live exports with the change of government. Cattle cattle's next. Yeah, it's a good point, uh, and that and that um, concern you've got about that that, that incremental creep uh, is a definite a definite uh, concern in my view. I think um, you know what you what you're saying there about the um, you know the, the activists uh, sometimes um, hopping in uh, was it strange making strange bedfellows with you know coming in 
and 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 almost not quite in support of the meat processing industry but you know there's there's a there's a section of the meat processing industry that are happy to see uh you know the live cattle trade obviously uh, live sheep and cattle trade potentially phase out because it potentially means more uh you know well it does mean more uh higher slaughter levels for them and and more ability to capture margin for them um it's a curious thing though that um you know they, they, they'd say well we can phase it out and we can process more uh onshore uh which sounds like a, a valid and reasonable economic argument however it was only just last month that I think Patrick Hutchinson from um, the meat processors, uh, uh, I think AMEC, is uh, he he came out and on the back of the uh, the government uh, making it more difficult to get uh, visa visa workers and in particular the four five seven and those type of, of skilled visa workers the um, the meatworks uh, were very quick to to come out and make a statement that um, this is going to make it difficult for them to bring in foreign workers and there's a plenty of rural rural areas that uh, rely heavily on those foreign workforces because the local uh, there's either not enough of a population that are skilled to, to do that job or, or there's no interest there and you know so there's a certain there's a certain kind of um, uh, type of worker that they require and and they're not always uh, available locally so you're talking about you know foreign workers potentially coming in to do that work or robotics yeah, and I think that's a key point you said there of robotics when when the meat workers union is in, is in bed with the Animals Australia, you know, geez, that would be an interesting dinner date, I reckon. But the reality is, I think, over the course of time, it's not going to be, the workers are not going to be benefited. There's not going to be a huge push to employ hundreds of thousands of ab workers. It's going to be a push for robotics. And as, as technology gets better, and we've seen some fantastic clips of, of boning rooms um, throughout Australia, you know, most of these jobs in, in meatworks will be gone within bloody 15 years I would be if, if not sooner well that's the thing you know in some of these areas particularly when you look at some of the remote areas of the country and and most specifically for, for a lot of those live cattle areas into the you know far north of the Kimberley and Pilbara regions and uh, you know across into the northern parts of uh, Northern Territory uh, you know they're areas that are quite seasonal and and um, you know one they don't have they don't have functioning abattoirs in much of those areas um, so, so they need they rely incredibly heavily on the live trade to be able to allow their animals to, you know, for, for offtake there, um, and and so you've got a situation where you have to rely on these um, workers that come in for short term scenarios, uh, and and that's where the meatworks are geared towards, um, you know, and I think you, you've got to really consider if if we start going down the path, and I know at this stage it's not on the agenda for any government, but if it is the case that the live cattle trades next, you know we, we are talking about a, a huge part of those uh, northern industries and, and and towns within those areas that rely heavily on the trade. I mean the analysis we did last year on on the live cattle trade um, showed well we looked at the whole value chain and I said I said before that a good proportion of that value chain goes back to the farm gain. Indeed it does. If you look across, you know we looked across the whole of the country and and the value chain was different for different parts of the country, but you could say 40 to 57% of the value chain went back to farm you know, in different parts of the country as an idea. And you had a whole lot of these smaller operators, or what I said, smaller, smaller um, participants in the value chain. So you might have a transport company where they're, you know, they're 10% or 20% of the value chain or you know, fodder supplier might be 15, 20% of the value chain. Um, and then you've got the small, even smaller guys, your livestock agents, you know, five percent, or insurance, you know, insurance and um, 
you know, uh, um, vets and all those ones that, that are part of the, the whole uh, value chain, but they only take a small proportion of the, of the value chain into the, you know, the lower percentages. And it seems like, oh, well, it, it, is that, that, that's not a big drama for them. You know? it's, it, people keep thinking it's these big companies and the export uh, operators and the shipping contractors that make all the money. But in actual fact, there's, there's businesses that might only take you know, a small proportion of the value chain. But in terms of their actual overall business revenues, they're taking a small cut, but, but their, their revenue stream is highly geared towards the live cattle trade. And, and that's certainly what our analysis showed, that there were... Um, there might be a fodder supplier that is only 10% of the chain, but in their business, they they you know 70% of their business is supplying to the live cattle or the live sheep uh, trade. So yes, they're taking a small cut every time for their proportion of the value chain, but their business is heavily reliant on it. You know, some of these businesses, even if you look at you know, port workers in some areas where the majority of what they're sending out is live animals or stockmen on the ship indeed a hundred percent of their workers in, in the live trade you know so you've got all this uh, regional community where the livelihood of that community uh, and, and the money that flows around that community is heavily is heavily influenced by the money that comes through uh, in particular in those northern parts of the live cattle trade what, what about Norfolk Queensland you know, we've got a lot of areas around the country which, and some of those regional areas are quite heavily reliant on live export, but also potentially coal yep. in some of those areas. So massive employers, um, you know, you're almost talking about huge, huge, huge licks of industry coming out of one area. It's almost like, you know, Geelong Ford on steroids for these type of areas. And I think, you know, when, when we come into the, you know, Looking at the economics, we we can we, we are more interested in economics generally, but you know it does have this you know societal problems, especially Northern Territory. You know some of those areas are you know heavily you know have suffered from pretty bad societal issues. You know with some of those uh, you know indigenous areas and uh, some of those areas with with high levels of unemployment, and and this is potentially is one of the the, the sole employers. For, for people with those type of skill sets. So, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't bode well. And I think, you know, when we see those protesters, you know, their demands the other day were really all about, well, we'll not stop until we have a vegan world. So that really precludes any form of, of animal agriculture. Uh, but in terms of, you know, let, let's say, for instance, we, we're down here in, we're, we're in Ballarat, the Western Districts. We, we don't really have much in the way of sheep exports and and i've heard of you know a number of farmers saying oh just just get rid of it just we don't we don't need the live export of sheep just ban it you know would it would it be any impact to say a producer in south australia or um victoria on on if if, if live sheep exports were banned you know what, what would the difference be yeah that's that's a good point i, I guess before i answer that one I, I, i'd like to reinforce what you said about that indigenous indigenous uh, employment in, uh, in the northern areas and particularly remote areas, there was a there was a survey that MLA put out. I think it was two thousand seventeen, looking at um, you know proportion of um, employment on on cattle type properties and I think or agriculture in general. I think the stat from the ABS is something like two or three percent of the workforce around the country is employed in agriculture in some capacity. Um, whereas if you look at um, indigenous employment, particularly in the cattle industry. Um, it's it's upwards of around fifteen to seventeen percent, I think, with with some of these regional areas that rely heavily on on the most most specifically that live cattle trade in the north. 
So you're talking significant numbers. Um, it's, it's not like they can retrain and no. all work in the local servo. No, that's right. Generally, the two the two key industries in a lot of those places are tourism, which is a bit you know patchy in some of those spots because of the remoteness, and and the cattle industry. Otherwise, it's nothing. And and I imagine the tourism industry will be sort of downgraded if they start to have societal problems because half their jobs are gone. It doesn't make you see some of those images of those those sort of towns up there they, they probably become less attractive if if suddenly there's you know huge proportion of the population are unemployed yeah so just to an, but to answer your question on the on the impact of say the closure of the live sheep trade across to the eastern states and look i think that, that that's one area where um there's um yeah, there's there there is still some some live uh, animals that come from from the eastern side i think if you if you look at it uh, across the averages through the years WA attribute about um, 85% come out of WA from from, yeah, from Australian live sheep exporters, 85% from WA, and the remaining 15% from the eastern states. Um, so look, there are some that go. Uh, in terms of uh, given the size of the market within the eastern states and and the the nature of how the you know South Australia, uh, Victoria, and, and New South Wales are, are pretty much one you know, homogenised market from that perspective. So prices are pretty pretty closely linked. Tasmania suffers a little bit from isolation, but because of the uh, equalisation scheme across the waters, it's not too bad. It's certainly not as um, not as uh, distant as WA. Um, but you would you would find potentially a, a, sm- a small price variation. I think the big key would be. Um, if you if you saw a closure of the of the trade, um, it'd, it'd only really be an issue when um, when we when the differential in price between the west and the east was such big enough that we started to get numbers coming across from the west to the east that it might in some markets uh, it could it could depress prices slightly. I, I think given the size of the eastern markets and the size of the western markets in terms of volumes, it's probably going to be a negligible impact on the eastern uh, states and I think that's part of the issue really is that um, you know if you go across and speak to anyone in the west you know they're, they're really concerned about how this is going to play out and rightly so um, unfortunately um, you know they're, they're equivalent compatriots in, you know, in the east there are quite a few around there that aren't too bothered about if it was to happen because you know by and large I think the impact would be would be um, fairly minimal. Yeah, well, I think that probably probably wraps it all up on the, on that live export industry. But I guess, in summary, the footage was pretty shocking back in uh, back this time last year. Uh, there are some great areas around where that footage was completely legit because of the, the payments made. Uh, I guess the other thing as well is that, in our view, sheep live exports is probably probably going to capsize as we. Uh, as we get a new new federal government, unless there's some form of serious amount of lobbying uh, to 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 get that off the agenda, but more 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 than likely that will happen. And then you know potentially as we you know probably not next year, but as the following years come through, chances are that cattle live export will also be you know heavily targeted, and and there will be that push to eventually you know ban that as well. But I guess you know. In summary, it's it's not good for sheep prices in, in in the west coast. And maybe you want to summarise what you what your thoughts are on on the whole situation. Yeah, I think look certainly we'll be we'll be looking at it closely at Mercado. Uh, I, I hope that um, that uh, before any I know the politicians have been pretty clear 
certainly on, on Labor's side as to what they're taking to the election. Um, I'd like to see a lot more thought put, be put into the impact, particularly for WA uh, and WA producers and, and, and regional communities around WA that rely heavily on, on the sheep trade. Um, like I've said, you know, and I think you've outlined it too, Andrew, our concern is that just this is the beginning of a creep and live cattle next, and then you know, long-haul transport of any animal can be next after that, plus... Uh, you know, uh, the slaughter process in general. I think there's a clear agenda with um, some of these extreme activists that, that they want us all to be eating um, eating tofu and whatever else. And I'm not, I'm not adverse to the occasional vegetarian meal myself, and I'm quite an environmentalist, as you know, Andrew. Uh, but, um, you know, I think it's all got to be within balance and you've got to look at the economics of what you're doing. Um, certainly, uh, animal welfare has to be you know, at the very top of the priorities for for the industry. Um, you know, you, you don't you don't do well for yourself as a farmer by mistreating your animals. You don't do well as an exporter by mistreating your animals. You know, you don't that that that's not part of what the industry is about. You know, there's there's not even an economic reason as to why that would be done on purpose. Um, so I think we need to have some clear vision, um, and hopefully the politicians will take the time to really look deeply at, at what the impacts would be uh, if, if they were to close down this, um, this industry in the West you know, for live sheep. Right, well, thanks, Matt. And I reckon we'll, we'll call it a day there. Uh, as always, uh, hope you found this podcast interesting. Uh, if, if you do find it interesting, please send it on to any of your friends and any of your colleagues they might find it equally interesting. Uh, if you've got any ideas for topics you want to cover or you want us to cover or you even have you know, somebody you want to come on and, uh, and have a chat, then, then please get in touch with us. Uh, you can contact us, email, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you can uh, find us. Uh, but yeah, if you want to find you know, a hell of a lot of analysis on this live export market, We've got some pretty pretty detailed reports on our website, and we've also got a lot of you know short sharp summaries of of the happenings in that marketplace. So thank you very much for uh, for taking the time to listen, and uh, catch you next time.